Hey, and good morning from Deconstructor of Fun and This Week in Games. So today we have the full dad gang here. Uh, we, we have, uh, we have uh, as always, Joseph Kim and Mr. Eric Kress. So the voice of rumors and the voice of, of, of reason both represented. And we're going to tackle four different topics. So we're going to start off by talking about Activision's plan to cut hundreds of jobs capping tumultuous, oh my God, this is the hardest word, tumultuous week. <laughs> we're going to talk about EDAR, a marketing research firm's Q4 roundup. Then we're going to dive a little bit deeper into game development, especially analytics, and talk about lifetime value, uh, part six, my most valuable retention KPI. So this is um, an article by an ex-Zynga, I believe, uh, slots, data analyst, data scientist, kind of like a lead data data person, and his view on different metrics and how to use them. So quite interesting, very detailed. And then finally, we are going to talk about uh, the blog post by the most, I would I would argue, the most powerful mobile gaming CEO, Mr. Ilko Bananen, the CEO of Supercell. So he released a blog post. It was shared across the world and a very, very good post. We're going to kind of dive deeper into what is he really saying, uh, if you will. So that's that's the episode for today. Enjoy. All right, guys, Twig 23. Are we all pumped and ready to, to, to roll? Let's do this. <laughs> so, so Mishka, like you're pumped. Your... Eric, yeah, Eric you're buzzed, and I'm falling asleep. But otherwise, I think we're, we're good to go, right? On this happy Valentine's Day, we're good to go. Great. So, yeah, I mean, we, yeah. All right, let's just cut straight to it if we want to cut with the chit chat. And uh, Eric, you want, to, you want to take it away? All right. The first story is about Activision. Uh, they have uh, cut 800 jobs uh, at Activision this week. Um, so, this is a big deal, uh, Wall Street. Uh, you know, the stock actually showed some improvement uh, when they announced this. Um, my understanding is that, the, you know, the primary people that were affected were a lot of the Destiny support folks. Um, but also, I think Blizzard was you know, predominantly affected uh, relative to the rest of the org. They tried to make clear, pretty clear that they did not cut any development teams, which is actually good because they do need the resources in order to make uh, new games. But seriously, I, I've been doing this for what 15 years or so i've never listened to a more depressing earnings call <laughs> than the activision call um it was just it was it was terrible um you know they're they they basically are basically saying that they're trying to you know rejigger the org in order to focus and concentrate on their biggest franchises um and you know the challenge that they've had is and we've talked about this in, in other podcasts is that their two tentpole franchises, Destiny and Overwatch, are not in good shape. And what happens when you know your tentpole titles fall is that you you know you you fall, and so the stock has gotten just creamed over the last like uh, six months to a year. So the broad kind of plan moving forward is to continue to invest in in their owned IP, you know, versus Dest the Destiny model in which they were basically contracted with another third party that owned the IP. So they're focusing on Call of Duty, you know, the Blizzard franchises, Candy Crush, and further investment in esports. So in general, like kind of what bothers me about their plans um, is that they're still like investing in the, in the existing franchises instead of creating new teams to build new experiences. I mean, I think it's smart that they're focusing on franchises that are well known to the public and 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 well received. However, I think part of their plan should actually, you know, foster some creativity. Some at least like some small teams to think about prototyping and doing new stuff, you know. So that was the first thing that kind of took me by a little bit by surprise that they didn't have that as part of their plan. The second thing that bothers me is this esports stuff. Um, you know, I've been a pretty persistent bear on esports just in general. I think fundamentally esports is more of a marketing tool than it is a way of making money. And what I think is that Bobby, who you know convinced twenty people to spend twenty to thirty million dollars on teams, you know, collecting from like real like bigwigs out there, and even in the real sports world, can't really 
go out there and start saying that he's reducing investment because I think what the reality is going to be is they will spend a lot less on the esports stuff over the next few years. Um, and again, I think it will become that marketing expense, uh, which is should have the way it been should have been the way it had. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> it should have been that way all along, right? I mean, this is basically what EA had, had has chosen to do, um, and so now, like, kind of their biggest hope, I suppose, is get Diablo working on mobile. You know, is kind of their big big bet for next year or for this year, two thousand nineteen. Um, I think there is a lot of potential for upside in Asia, uh, but I still I still am a little bit concerned about the potential in the West. But a smarter person than me. Uh, about mobile told me that maybe the action RPG genre, you know, things like Lineage 2, which haven't performed very well in the West, maybe it'll take a big brand like Diablo to make them work. But uh, to me, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit dubious about its, its ability to be successful in the West. Um, what else is there? So I, I've been really concerned about Activision for 19 all year long uh, last year. And the problem with these situations is that morale gets so bad that people start leaving. And this creates a real problem for a company to retain the real the talent that they need. And, and this is one of my biggest concerns about Blizzard in general is that, um, you know, they may actually lose some of the, the their, your, I don't know, their golden child that make great games. Um, also, you know, Sledgehammer is, is looking a little bit scary because their two founders have left um, last year. And one of the founders has actually created a studio next door, so they are likely going to pull some of their best players. Sledgehammer was the one that one of the Call of Duty studios that did World War II. Um, and then finally, in a world you know where this Apex game from EA could do 25 million users in a week, you know, do we really need Call of Duty anymore? <laughs> you know, like I think EA in general has a little bit more protection because they have the big brands uh, like FIFA, and Madden, but they also have you know and 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 other licenses like star Wars. I'm not really sure how defendable call of duty will be going forward when, you know, Fortnite, PUBG, and now, um, apex comes. So anyway, I will always be a big fan of blizzards franchises. Um, and, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fanboy, but, um, I don't know. Call of duty scares me going forward about Activision and Activision overall is a little bit scary right now to me. Um, and it seems like they kind of need to do something pretty bold in terms of acquisition in order to kind of get back on track. So they have the resources in order to make new games and new experiences that can, you know, capture, uh, you know, the audiences that they've kind of been losing. What do you think, Joe? Yeah. So for me, I, I think the point you make about Apex, that that's the big question, right? So does that actually represent a fundamental shift in the market from a unit sold model, which has been predominant in console, at least for shooters? And if it, it, it will free to play become the dominant model? And if so, then I, I do think that that represents, you know, a very significant risk for for Call of Duty, um, especially you know when it's been a very successful model for so long, and for them to kind of shift that model moving forward. Uh, if, if they have to or not. So um, I, I definitely think that that's a really great point. Um, besides that, it, it seems like the layoffs were sort of inevitable given their situation, but it's very surprising just reading a lot of the fan reaction. You know, you go to the forums and you kind of see the uh, the comments that are being written about how evil the company is. A lot of, a lot of comments about um, Bobby Kotick in particular but you know what else is a company supposed to do? You know, the, as you had mentioned, the temple titles are are sagging, and you, know, you certainly don't want to keep on massive support staff for titles that don't need them, or or you know have have you know for titles that have now moved on to to another studio. So, uh, like you, Eric, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fanboy of Blizzard, but I, I think I'm well. I get I guess two questions for me. Like like one is. Um, you know, uh, in terms of you, you had mentioned that, um, that that you actually don't think that Blizzard is, is working on uh, new titles, but kind of, you know, sort of word on the street has been that they've they've actually tried to make a number of mobile titles, uh, at least five from what I've heard, but they just haven't been very successful with it. So, you know, one question is, uh, is like, what is, what is the problem that they're having internally where they're not able to internally develop successful mobile titles? I mean, I think the only thing that I've seen from them 
is that really weird sort of blitzcrank game that that launched a, a number of years back. And then beyond that, shouldn't they be, you know, the second question for me is shouldn't they be adopting a model that allows them to be more successful in on the platform that has the highest growth and represents a, a significant opportunity for them in the future? And uh, so I wonder why they're not doing something else more dramatic to try and control their destiny. Well, I mean, I think they are. Yeah. I mean, I think they okay. are dedicating a lot of resources to yeah. mobile right now. And I think they have a lot of things that are going on, like on a prototype stage. But the only real project that's in development, as far as I understand it, is from NetEase, is the Diablo game, which right. is going to be released sometime this year, supposedly. But even even in their guidance, they didn't really suggest that that thing was coming. So that may be having they may be having problems. So fundamentally, I don't want to go too much down on this this rabbit hole, but fundamentally, I think they're going to have the same problem as kind of like Nintendo have is that they are fundamentally a shop that is all about the creative, right? They're all about creative integrity, the same way Nintendo is. And microtransaction models are just not part of their DNA, right? And so, and particularly Morheim, you know, was always against microtransactions, particularly for WoW. Now, of course, they have implemented microtransactions in their models and their games, but they do it in a very, very player-friendly way, particularly right. Overwatch in particular. Yep. And, and also um, Hearthstone to some degree. So anyway, they you know, the pay to win, you know, the, the real like aggressive monetization models, they're just never going to do. And so that makes it really tough for them to kind of come, come to Jesus about what they need in order to be successful in mobile. And so that, that is the challenge that they're going to have, I think, is that they have no real mobile development experience and their resistance to kind of like the monetization models that make, make sense. And so it's just going to be a learning experience that EA went through for the last 10 years and they're still at only like 500 million a year, which is a lot of money, but I, but you know, they've been doing it a long time and everyone kind of goes through this like pain of learning um, how to do it. So I think they're just kind of in the early stages in my opinion. Yeah. If I can add something about, I mean, you guys touched upon quite, quite deeply on, on both Activision and Blizzard, but the third part of the third wheel here is King. And and as you Eric mentioned, they're, 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 they said that they'll be focusing on the Candy Crush franchise. But the fact is, King also got hit with this. So both San Francisco and Seattle studios, which were game development studios, were cut. Um, and what we can see from from the Candy Crush. So what I understood from San Francisco studio, to my understanding, I'm not sure if this is true, but to my understanding, they were actually working on mid core games. And Seattle was also the one that shipped, not shipped, but soft launched one of their um, soft mid core game. And I, I think originally that that uh, Battle Nation Studios E2 Live was acquired due to their um, mid core experience. So, kind of looking at deeper at King, we can see that the Candy Crush franchise, if they wouldn't have launched the Candy Crush Friends this year, I, the Candy Crush franchise would be on the decline. So every game in Candy Crush franchise has performed worse than the previous one, and and that's that's not a that's not an excellent trend going forward. And the worst thing about King, in my opinion, if you compare King to Zynga, is that King has all its eggs in one basket, and that is the puzzle games, and more importantly, match and blast game. Now, given this is the biggest grossing category on mobile. But still, it's only one category versus Zynga that has literally game in every single type of category. So they have a much more balanced portfolio. So then we know that the, the Call of Duty was in development on mobile in Stockholm because they had the jobs at, job ads at one point. We haven't heard about that game in a few years. I don't remember when I saw the job ads last time. I think it was two, two years ago, even more. And... Um, there's no information on that, but we also know that they were hiring people for development of Call of Duty Mobile in San uh, in in, uh, in Santa Monica at the same time. And I believe, to my understanding, that game was developed externally with, um, or according allegedly, it was it was developed uh, with a Chinese partner. So that that puts also a, a big question mark of like, is King able to develop other than puzzle games because they've had, you know, the premier IP there. And they weren't able to, at least not yet, weren't able to to um, to execute upon it. And they really haven't launched any kind of mid-core games. And the only sort of a puzzle RPG game that they launched, uh, Legends of Soulguard, was published by and, and developed by an external studio. 
So it kind of puts you a question on, on where does Activision lie on mobile because that's the, the most and the fastest growing area. So they do have the king cash cow, but they haven't um, been able to really win with Call of Duty IP. They haven't, for example, done Skylanders game on mobile, which could be amazing if it was, a, for example, like location-based game. I think that IP um, fits that type of gameplay really well. And finally, King also released their ad revenue numbers, and they were saying that they're earning about $100 million a year, which is you know, a great amount of, uh, of money, and, and they have been investing a lot into improving their, their ad monetization. But in all honesty, given their DAU, given the amount of players they have, and given giving you know the power of, of of their giant portfolio it's it's kind of a small number you you would have uh, expected it to be a slightly larger so those those are my analysis no i mean that's actually really smart i think they the call the call of duty game that was being developed by Kenny, by king was evidently terrible but the game they're really focused on the game that's being developed by tencent or co-developed by tencent so mm-hmm. that game does have potential but that brand kind of failed on pc and in in china i don't know if mobile is going to be any better for that brand you know we'll see um the ad revenue stuff that's a little bit complicated as well because i think what they're doing is they're not using um game developers like guys that are like they're they're focusing on brands only because they don't want to cross promote other games within Mm -hmm. their games and so that kind of limits their upside on their ad revenue so they're being super cautious and taking super tons of time <laughs> to build this out. And, but, but net net, the, what I will disagree with you a little bit is that the only good part of Activision's business that's actually growing profitably is King, you know, despite, you know, all their issues in terms of only being able to make really one style game and, um, and the ad stuff, not really, you know, ramping as much as you would think it is, but they're, that's like the only, real positive of this whole earnings call was the fact that King continues to grow, <laughs> which if you had asked me that three years ago, I would have said no, no effing way, but, um, <laughs> but they've managed to actually execute pretty well. So. Yeah. But even, even like if you're being analytical and, 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 you know, comparing King to Zynga, which is, you know, it's, it's a, it's a legit comparison. You would assume that in long term Zynga will win because it just has much more balanced portfolio. And it's more aggressive in in terms of acquisitions and and you know just entering new markets and it it's been able to grow its so called forever franchises like poker and words with friends versus King is kind of you know serving the same dish over and over and over again and it's always smaller and smaller. But of course, their starting point is way higher. So yeah, that's that's that. So, so we should okay. Be- <laughs> So moving on to the second article, the, the second one is the EDAR t- 2018 Q4 Roundup. And basically, EDAR is a market research firm that has a blog. And earlier this month, they posted about kind of their key takeaways with, with respect to the gaming market from Q4 of, of 2018. And so there's this kind of like three uh, general insights that they provide, and the first of which it, it comes from uh, a survey on purchase intent for 2019 titles, and and so basically what this is 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 them asking a number of of gamers what they intend to buy in 2019, and so I, I can go ahead and, and and tell you guys that list, but starting from number ten and moving to number one. So number ten is MLB The Show 19. Number nine is the Lego Movie 2 video game. Uh, Next is The Division 2. After that is my personal favorite and the one that I will be uh, purchasing as well um, instantaneously, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Then comes Last of Us Part 2, Halo Infinite, Animal Crossing, Kingdom Hearts 3, Mortal Kombat 11, and then Resident Evil 2. So anyway, not the order I would have suspected, uh, but you know, personally, I, I, I feel like um, Final Fantasy and Division 2 need to come up a bit. And kind of a little bit surprised that Cyberpunk wasn't on this list, but otherwise, you know, it, uh, I guess it makes sense. Eric and Mishka, what, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't like these kind of surveys. Like, I don't think customers really know what they want until they, they know. Right. And yeah. it, so it's like, I, I mean, this list is interesting in the sense, but 
you know, the biggest title every year is Call of Duty, right? For the last, I think, like eight years or something, you know? So why isn't Call of Duty on this list, right? Yeah. And why is Madden not on the list or, or NBA 2K, which are both, you know, in probably the top four, right? You know, I do believe that Resident Evil and Kingdom Hearts are going to be great games um, and sell a lot. I think Division 2 should be much higher on the list as well. I think that'll do well. And there's no Anthem, which is coming out, you know, next week. Um, so... I mean, I think it's cool just to see kind of where people are at in terms of their expectations. But uh, some of these lists are kind of nonsense sometimes to me anyway. I, I don't even own a console. So I'm looking at this and I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm a bit envious, JK, when you're saying that you're going to play all these games. Because I don't know. I'll, I'll play the Division 2 and Final Fantasy 7. I mean, in, I wish I could. I would play all this if I would have time to play. Even, I mean... Come on, I just play Brawl Stars five minutes, and that's that's about all. <laughs> okay. uh, so the second bit of analysis they did is a survey on the top genre across platforms, and so they wind wound up with the following in terms of the top five genres per platform. And so for console, it was unsurprisingly shooter, then action, RPG, fighting, then puzzle, and for PC, it was again unsurprisingly shooter. RPG, action, puzzle, then MMO. And then for mobile, um, more strange. This was this one was a little bit of a surprise in terms of brain puzzle, matching, which is not a surprise, arcade, skill and chance, and strategy. And uh, a couple of points that they make is that in particular, you know, Battle Royale for them really, really pushed the shooter popularity up. And on mobile, social casino for them has fallen out of favor, um, uh, you know, has fallen out in favor of strategy. So, um, and by strategy, they mean titles like Clash Royale. Um, and they also said, mentioned that in, in 18, that there weren't as many slot titles. So that's another reason why they felt that slots fell out. Um, any thoughts on the second bit of analysis, guys? <laughs> Actually, I, the first time I read it, I'm like, oh, this all makes sense. But then now that I'm thinking about it, like yeah. casino is is still as super popular as it always has been. I mean, they're still growing casino, which is crazy. <laughs> and what are what are brain puzzle games on mobile? Like you, you, they must they must mean hyper cash, right? But that's not a brain puzzle. Or <laughs> I mean, what what else could it be? I mean, that's right. mostly. Yeah, I mean, cat, you know. But I would also say that the Edar taxonomy for for their genres is like really really weird. I mean, I, I think yeah, it is okay. But <laughs> yeah, I know it seems really disconnected with like kind of the the normal like thinking in terms of looking at App Annie or what sensor tower data or whatever. So right. I'm I, I don't know. This one this one is actually a little bit more wacky than the first the third thing that you're going to talk about i i do agree with them on this one and i think this is actually okay. very insightful so let's move on to that all right and so and moving to the third and, and final key takeaway from the edar report is basically on the changing demographics of nintendo switch owners so uh, a few interesting points is one uh first first starts with like gender split and so when they ran the survey in Q2 of 2017, uh, from a gender split perspective, there were 30% female, 70% male. But in Q4 of 2018, that actually, we, we now have an even split, so 50-50. Further, there was also a big change in terms of the age of Switch owners, which, um, and, and two age bands in particular gained quite a lot of share, which were the 18 to 24 uh, age group, which went from 23% in Q2 of 2017 to 31% in Q4 of 2018, and the 35 to 44 age range, which gained from 16 to 21%. And all the other sort of age bands lost a small amount, but the, the one that lost the most was between 25 to 29 years old. Um, also, uh, as you can probably expect in terms of the early adopters, um, an interesting statistic was that 59% of those early adopters that, that, that acquired their switches in Q2 of 2017 spent 11 hours or more of game time per week, but that has now dropped to 38% in Q4 of 2018. And, and, you know, when you think about it, that kind of makes sense in terms of like, you know, who, who that early adopter group likely was probably crazy gamers, but also interestingly that early adopter demo um, of, of that group, 
percent created game content to stream. So, um, you know, streaming on YouTube or Twitch versus 10 percent in Q4 of 2018. So I, I did find it was a little bit interesting uh, that there were so many uh, streamers in, as part of that group. And finally, um, the top five titles in Key 4 of 2018 were Minecraft, Super Mario Odyssey, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, Legend of Zelda, and finally Fortnite. But yeah, I would have expected Fortnite to be a little higher. Um, any, any thoughts on that, guys? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the broadening of the demographic for Switch is actually a really great thing for Nintendo. You know, in the first year, we saw that like there was like 85% cross-ownership with um, Xbox and PS4. Now it's close to 60, which kind of foots with your, you know, their demographic change that they outline. However, what I'm not really seeing here is that there's really enough content out there for the broader audience. You know, when we had the Wii, we had things like Wii Fit, Toys to Life category, Guitar Hero, Rock Band, et cetera, like all this mass market, like casual style games. Right now, really all we have is some of the Nintendo products that kind of, you know, like Mario Kart and Odyssey and stuff. So, you know, I, I still am a little bit skeptical about the ability for Nintendo to execute against this platform long term. I think tie ratios, which are basically the number of software sold um, per install base, is really low right now. Like it is literally like 50% lower than it was for the Wii during this time. So they've sold about the same amount, a little bit more hardware than the Wii at this point in the cycle, but they're selling 50% less software. Um, and on top of that, 80% of the software is Nintendo versus like 50% that was for, uh, that was Nintendo then. So 50% was third party. So it's really hard in my opinion and based on history to build a really successful platform, unless you have a third party market, you know, of games that are additional, uh, additional games from different companies that are selling, um, which helps your profitability because you're getting royalties from these, but it also builds a platform from, from the perspective of, of the user base and keeps tie ratios high. So while I think this platform is, is actually phenomenal for Nintendo and Nintendo games, I'm not quite sure if they're going to see like a really successful ecosystem going forward for this platform. Um, so I've been very cynical of this platform from the get-go and I kind of got burned <laughs> on the release. <laughs> But all the things that I was worried about just kind of came true. It was just kind of a year later, right? And so, you know, Nintendo stock is in the toilet right now. Um, and it's just because this platform is not really doing as well as they, they had hoped it would do. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what the next year has in store for us. All right. So moving on to the third article, um, this, 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 uh, basically I wanted to cover more news items that, uh, were a little bit broader for the game industry. So this is a news item that PMs are currently discussing and, and it's, it's called my most valuable retention KPIs. It was a post written by Lloyd Melnick in ex Zynga and current poker stars guy. And um, Lloyd basically makes the argument that um, the current and most universally accepted way to measure retention, which is D1730, is essentially not enough. And just for, for those who aren't aware, uh, what D1730 retention refers to is day one. So the D is for day. Um, so basically what this means is that let's say 100 people install the game on day zero D1 is the number that would show back up on day one. So let's say 40 people showed up on like one day after, that would be 40% D1. Let's say 20% or or 20 people showed up seven days later, that would be 20% D7. And let's say 10% showed up 30 days later, then that would be 10% D30. And essentially Lloyd's point is that this picture uh, for retention is is incomplete. And so there were a number of, of metrics developed at Zynga called Kerr, Ner, and Rur, uh, which he felt um, are good complements to D1730 uh, retention and, and are very helpful. And so just to give you guys a, a quick overview in terms of what these measures are, Kerr, uh, Kerr with a C, stands for Current User Retention Rate. And it, it's, it's basically... Um, the, the percent of your players that are staying active in the game. 
and have returned over the past two weeks. And so if, if a player's played for the past two weeks and come back to the current week, that would, you know, that would be an active uh, cur type of player. So current user retention rate. NUR is new user retention rate. And what this shows is the percentage of players who showed up for the first time and then continued to, to play the game for a second week. So they installed the game and a week later they're still playing. And finally, ROR is return user return rate, which is a measure of an inactive player who came back after not after lapsing, who hasn't played the game for a week, and then will play the game for one week and then play for a second week. So I wanted to point out this article for uh, for a few reasons. First, um, in in general, generally speaking, retention is the most important metric of all. I mean, this is not always the case, but in most cases. And I, I definitely agree that D1730 isn't perfect. So other ways to gauge and pinpoint problem areas is, is actually really fantastic, especially, especially for you know, PMs who are looking to try and optimize and help improve games. Secondly, um, this view looks at um, the different player experiences, right? Because when, when you think about it, you should be thinking about the, the different kinds of player experiences that, that players have in a game um, and from the perspective of when you're actively playing the game, when you're new to the game, and when you've lapsed and come back. And so by looking at those separately and measuring them separately, you'll be able to optimize for them separately. And, you know, finally, I, I just think in, in general, you know, at NBC Universal, we actually, um, we don't call it Cur and Nur. We kind of uh, look at sort of the inverse of, of those of those metrics, but you know, Ruhr in particular. I, I think when when we're talking about reactivation and return and optimizing for returning users, I, I think that's something we haven't been doing, and and something in general. I think the industry needs to think more about and optimize against. Anyway, this is our PM article for today. Eric and Mishka, what do you guys think? Well, I mean, yawn. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, when I was at Kabam, we spent over a year looking at LTV and we went relatively deep in terms of player behavior type metrics, um, and how those contributed to LTV. Um, now the great thing about Kabam was that we had really successful titles to analyze, uh, both the strategy side as well as, um, uh, contest of champions. And what we were focused on was kind of LTV as a calculation of conversion, average selling price and transaction velocity. So that's kind of where we netted out as important, the important metrics in terms of really calculating LTV. You know, buried in these numbers are the are retention, right? So retention is clearly really important. So every time we looked at companies that we were going to acquire, we would always look at day one, day seven, day 30 retention. So any like ways of actually measuring retention, you know, is, is good, you know, for, man, for seeing the health. But here's the challenge. The challenge really is, is that, the games, particularly these core games that we were dealing with, were so heavily weighted to the whales that it was really optimizing against this these players' behavior that was most important and had the biggest impact on LTV, if that makes sense. So by allowing by figuring out how these guys spend and and building games that, you know, kind of help facilitate that, that's kind of impacted LTV the most, right? So Having said that, building, you know, an ecosystem and players that retain and play is really important. You know, keep, keeping folks in these strategy games, it creates the fodder for the big spenders, right? Particularly for the strategy 4X titles. Um, you know, maybe casino titles are a little bit more about retention, but my understanding is I've heard the same whale dynamic exists in social casino um, as it is in strategy. So to me, it's like if you optimize your game to... Uh, to optimize, you know, the the you know whale player behavior, then of your biggest spenders, then you're, then that's a much more fruitful way <laughs> to do, make these high LTV games. But yeah, and, 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 yeah, Eric, I don't disagree with you. I actually think that, um, and and the all of that, what exactly what you're saying, the analysis that you're talking about is is actually captured in a YouTube video by Jeff Howell, the uh, former CTO of Command Vancouver. Um, so if you look up Jeff Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. -L, yeah, I know him, yeah. And regulars. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's a probably even a more more important sort of 
video or, or, or you know, more, more important concept and, and, and sort of issue to study. But, you know, I, 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 do, I do think that, you know, also thinking about, you know, uh, other forms of retention outside of D1730 is important. Yeah, these are, the, I mean, we, we use these kind of metrics. We, we call it more like a base user base user metric where we, it, it's actually very close to the uh, CURR or CUR, so current user return rate. And it does show the sort of um, longevity of the game. And, and, you know, players are playing after two weeks. And, and it also shows in the long term as you're making bigger improvements to the game in terms of how it increases the audience uh, and especially with those retained. But I do agree with, with what Eric is saying, and that is the, the, the retention is one part and it's one of the most important parts. But the other part is how do you follow the whale behavior? Because out of you know all the people who monetize, and those are really important because they keep our games alive, small percentage, you know, 20%, 15% of out of the, all of those who pay are actually paying for 80% uh, in, of, of the game's revenue. So, so of course, optimizing the game for those players as well is important and and they you know they make a smaller percentage of that base user audience but but it's important cohort important um important set of users to follow and optimize the games for them so probably easier at kabam before because all of the games were pretty much similar um all of those sort of like early versions of 4x games so a lot of learnings from those most likely all right and now to the, the the main topic for today, Mishka. Oh yeah. So oh, the main topic. You know, probably one of the most circulated uh, blog posts this week, and 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 good. I mean, excellent blog post. So it was a uh, it was first blog post by Ilka Bonanen, who is the CEO of Supercell. He always calls himself the least powerful CEO, but I think you know if we're being totally honest. I'd say he's a very humble CEO, but he's not least powerful. I mean, Supercell is like the biggest, one of the biggest mobile companies ever, and it's really small, so he must have a lot of uh, influence. Anyways, so he, so uh, the, the the blog post was excellent. It was very uh, open in that sense that it, it really you know explained about Supercell. It was very PR driven, as it should be, and as people should understand that when they are reading these type of things or any type of you know even even deconstructor fun, it's like. These are not journalists written articles. <laughs> they are they are PR. So <laughs> so you have to take it with a grain of salt. And um, I kind of I, I read it. It was excellent. And there were four key topics, key things that came out that are quite interesting to discuss. So Ilka starts by talking about the best teams make the best games, and that's the whole uh, motto of Supercell. And they talk about their model of making games is we should only release games that we're the that are the best possible experiences for our players, games that we ourselves are proud of. If it takes time, so be it. Uh, we believe in staying small, that, uh, you know, the, the whole shebang of maximizing innovation and quality and minimizing bureaucracy, resulting in the very best games for you. At the same time, in this blog, they're talking about opening a studio in Shanghai. They're talking about the need for more content, which has resulted in in uh, partnering with external studios. It's resulted in tools and technology works. It's, it's resulted in growth of the size of the live teams. So while they're saying it, it is our motto is to stay small, they are growing. And, and those are kind of conflicting things. And while they're saying is everything is best when it's all under same roof, you know, game development, the same roof. They're like, and yes, we have the China studio as well. Now, these are not bad things. These are excellent things. These are the things that the company needs to do as it evolves, as it grows, as the market changes and, you, and the pace gets much faster. But it is a conflicting message to the original message. And it clearly has, um, it, it's clearly something that Supercell is still pondering on how to take this because what they are doing now is against their motto, against the, uh, the belief. And, and I think what they're doing is smart, but still. Uh, the second part, what they talk about, what, what he talks about is, I mean, I assume they, because I, I, I kind of have my doubt that, that, you know, it's like one person, I'm sure he wrote it, but I'm sure other people read it too and, and kind of went through it. But anyway, so, so um, the second part is Brawl Stars. And this is, of course, the most interesting thing. And they talk about the community-centric approach of the game development and how it was, uh, you know, how it was a pretty long time in soft launch. And how they had a very long gap between Clash Royale in 2016 
to their next game. So everyone was eager to get Brawl out. And I'm sure Tencent was one of those eager people because if you look at, at Supercell's value before Brawl Stars, you could argue that Tencent overpaid because they paid at the height of Clash Royale. And, you know, three years later, where's the next one and Clash Royale taking some hate, some, you know, some hits from Fortnite. Anyways, Brawl launched, great game, download it. In, it was number one in more than 50 regions, uh, inglu- including big Asian markets like Japan, Korea, and um, Taiwan. Um, four and a half star rating. Everything is great. They talk about the fact that the game has reached its potential because the esports is just starting. So they're wishing that that's going to be a growth driver for it. And most importantly, because they haven't launched in China yet. So, so those are the kind of things that, that are uh, in the horizon for Brawl Stars. But then again, when you open up data, uh, you know, sensor tower, and you start looking at the data for Brawl Stars, what you can see is, you know, before the last update that came about a week ago, the game was, again, on a rapid decline. Um, it, it, after the launch, it started declining. It's not it's not a typical Supercell hit where, where it keeps on growing and growing, and it actually requires that immense amount of content and i've been playing brawl for i'd say a year and a half i mean i've been playing it since it first came out and then you know analyze it and and i you know personally like the game but i wouldn't say it's my favorite game and i wouldn't say it's the best game i've played from supercell not even the second or third so it will be very interesting to see where this game heads and um yeah, I'm of course wishing the best for it, but is esports the thing that's gonna you know push it forward, especially when we have these type of competition from battle royale games and and um, and other action games, and this game being not very deep, and how it's gonna fare in China, where the voice chats are really important, and where the uh, the depth tends to be quite important. So we'll we'll see that. The third thing that he talked about was portfolio, and this is quite interesting. So. He talks about a lot about you know creating the best possible games and, and you know pushing the needle on that and, and all the, all the good stuff. At the same time, he mentions two things, and that is focus on Boom Beach and Heyday. That the teams are devoted their time to work on something big that they'll be, bring to the players this year. What this tells you is Supercell is very revenue driven because why would they otherwise invest into these legacy titles that they haven't really touched for a while, and now they're reinvesting to them. Why is it because they want to create better games? But you know, it's it's clear to see that those are not the premier games. So what you can say is, wait a minute, you're trying to increase your revenue because that's that's smart. That is smart to invest into Boomish. They have already that devoted audience. It's smart to invest into Heyday because they have that audience. They have that organic traffic, um, and and it's what they're doing is very smart, very revenue driven, but also not what what the original message is, and that is you know creating those games and. And, and, and so forth. So very smart moves, but again, counter to, to the, uh, the, uh, the high message. Uh, finally, two things, that is investments and finances. So they talk about investments in terms of wanting to make a bigger impact on the world of games without needing to grow our internal studio too much. They talk about inventing, investing into redemption games, trail mix, everywhere games, Frogmind, Space Ape, Shipyard Games. So a lot of investments being done. A lot of investments are gonna are gonna come out as well. You know, there's all kind of rumors who they're talking to. Some of the companies they're talking to are massive in terms of the revenue they're they're generating. So allegedly, um, and um, and it's very interesting because again, it's 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 a story of the small company of super creatives of of small teams creating awesome games. And at the same time, it's investing into legacy titles, investing into investments, trying to to in a growing studio. So, conflicting messages. But if you're analyzing it as you know, as an outsider, all smart things and all the things you should be doing. And then we get back to why are those messages conflicting? And you get through that by looking at their finances. So, according to Finnish law, every company, Supercell included, needs to report their annual financial results. And we look at the numbers of 2018, you can see that the revenue was, you know, EBITDA was about 1.6 billion. Um, No, sorry, I'm going to look at the uh, euro numbers. So if that's okay. So the revenue was 1.8 billion million euros in 2018. 
And in 2017, it was 2.1 billion. So it's almost 300 million less of revenue. The EBITDA or the, um, the net, net results were, were about 188 million less. Uh, so it was 729 million euros and 917 in 2017. At the same time, the marketing expenses went down almost by, by 80 million from 300 to 117 million. And, and Ilka kind of finishes up in this in really well. And this is, um, this is on contrary of the tragical Activision report where they say that there, it was the best year ever or record year. And at the same time, we're going to lay off 800 people. So what Ilka is saying is a few people have asked me whether as the CEO of the company, I feel disappointed that the numbers went down from the previous year and the year before. So in other words, Supercell has been declining in revenue for two years straight at a quite rapid pace. Of course, they're amazing in the results that they deliver, but still decline two years, not drastically, but you know, at a rapid pace for two years in a row. So Ilka continues, well, sure, of course, it would be great if the numbers always grew from the previous year. But focusing on short-term financial metrics has never been the most important thing for me or for us as a company. Our concern is that if you start to dri- to be driven by short-term financials, you may be tempted to release average quality games too early or be overly focused on monetization. Instead, our approach is to focus on building great teams and creating culture where these teams can focus on building great games. With a bit of luck, we hope that over the course of decades, this approach will result in, in great games that players all over the world love and become part of the history of games. Anyway, so he deviates the discussion again to the main story, which is we are here to make great games. But if you analyze this text all over, you can clearly see that the focus is monetization. The focus is growth. You're making investments. You're growing your studios. You're investing into tools. You're investing into partnerships with external partners. You're releasing games that are not bigger than your previous game and arguably have a big challenge in, in, you know, in sustaining in terms of Brawl Stars. So what they are doing, and again, I'm not arguing anyway, what they're doing, I think is really smart, but at the same time, it's not the original message. So that's my analysis. Very good, Miska. Um, so I, I've done a little bit of work on this company for some of my clients. Um, what, what's really remarkable about this story, to me anyway, is that you know, literally the month after Tencent acquired them, like a few months after Clash Royale was released, their revenue run rate fell almost 40%. I mean, it was dramatic, right? And what that did was actually make the acquisition a lot more expensive for Tencent. So my understanding is they're basically kind of buying it for 15, t- 15 times EBIT. And because their run rate fell so dramatically, it was like almost 30 times EBIT. So almost double <laughs> the price. So I think Tencent was kind of freaking out at that point. Um, but again, this is like kind of a typical story. We've seen this happen over and over again. Basically, you have a massively successful title like Clash of Clans, and then they release something like Clash Royale, and you, the audience moves over because they are being you know, pushed into that game. But the monetization is a lot less than Clash of Clans, and so you cannibalize your overall business. So this has happened with Zynga on Facebook games. This happened when King was going public. This even happened to Kabam, you know, with their kind of with some of their strategy games. Um, so, and I think, you know, this is kind of the main reason that we haven't seen much coming out of uh, the League of Legends guys. It's like, what, you know, what have they been doing all this time, right? They're focusing all their attention on League of Legends. and They haven't come out with anything else, although everyone's been saying they've been working on stuff. But I think they're afraid that they're just going to cannibalize their, their really solid business. So... Anyway, I think this is just a, a trapping of a, of a lot of successful companies, and 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 Supercell is an amazing company. They make a great content, but mm-hmm. in order to maintain growth, I mean, they kind of have to go outside their lane and and do something different, um, which is really hard for a company that's been so focused on that style of game. So anyway, yeah, and I think I think Eric, you're right, and and that's why you know I've studied, you know, I have a business degree, I've studied strategy, and and the key point at this one is can the company transform from its key core competences in order to maintain and prosper because their competence is the cells, the small teams. And now the message is like, and not the message, but the reality is that that's not enough. That's good for starting something, but it takes too long to finish a game. 
and you can't keep up with the content. So that, that I think that's the underlying – like everybody is gung-ho about reading this this article and like, oh, they love games. This is the best company because they love – that's true. But look behind, look behind it. Look at the strategic point. Their co- core competence is not enough to win in the market anymore. And now they have to transform from the the uh, the utter you know utter ex, you know the the the, uh, the base of of having the small cells, the base of having the small teams. That's not the reality anymore. And that's I think that's the most interesting is how supercells will be able to transform to answer to the current market. Yeah, so my take, so, and, and Mishka, I understand that this blog post was a bit of a PR piece, but um, having said that, I, I think it was extremely well done. It was also for me just super inspiring, you know. Um, so, kind of actually made me an even bigger fan of Supercell. You know, thank God we've got a company like Supercell around. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I even, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of a sucker for, you know, kind of, uh, companies that try to be uh, more than commercial. So, you know, the, the bit about them, you know, paying their fair share of taxes, not trying to dodge them, you know, getting to carbon neutral and the new code school, uh, the, their coding school called Hive, which has literally zero tuition. It, you know, it, it made me respect them a lot more and, and think that they've got, you know, kind of a broader mission that they're trying to accomplish. Um, and from, from an approach perspective, I, I think that, you know, I, you know, strategically, I, I feel that they're getting a lot of things right in terms of thinking more long-term, taking an Amazon-like approach, um, and, you know, not really caring so much that revenue is coming down over the past year or, or a couple of years. And so I, I think that for them to try to really focus on fundamentals and not do, you know, because clearly what we've seen with a lot of other companies is a knee-jerk reaction and then making short-term decisions that ultimately resulted in suboptimal, uh, uh, you know, outcomes. But to your point about it, it, whether you know this kind of cell model and, and the way that they're doing things is enough, you know, I I think the thing that worries me more is that the last time I was um, in Finland, kind of uh, again since 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 people are calling me the rumor the rumor man. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've so, earned. So maybe, I think you've earned. <laughs> so Mishko, maybe you could clear up these rumors for me because this is this is this was kind of the word on the street that I heard Alleged. in terms of the the real reason for Supercell's success, which is, is is like, and so you know, kind of the um, you know what 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 I heard was that you know there's there's this kind of um, uh, narrative around the cells around you know, distributed power, but the, the reality um, based on these rumors is that the real reason why Supercell was successful was not about teams, they were about individuals, about superstars, and three superstars in particular who were responsible, one for um, Clash of Clans, another for Boom Beach, and the other for Clash Royale, and all three of them have left, and they're waiting out their time before they start a new company. Um, and so, okay. So first of all, um, okay. There, there are some truth in that, that there are people <laughs> okay. that have left uh-huh. uh, the people, you know, making a game is a teamwork. First of all, sure. Secondly, you yeah. need the right environment and Supercell clearly provides the right environment to make amazing hits, but it is true. Some of the original people who worked on clash of clans, as well as some of the people who were shipping, Clash Royale, not necessarily, you know, making it or not, not necessarily the key running it, say. you know, but key people have left. The some people are are also on on um on a little bit of a leave uh, after some of the key people as well who have who have shipped some of the best games. But you know, hopefully they're coming back to the to the studio, but they're taking a little bit of sabbatical, well earned sabbatical. But but that's true, and and it's it's natural, like you know. You need to foster that creativity. You need to foster that that growth inside the studio. So the company's filled with the best talent in the world. So even though one or two people leave, I don't think that has a big of an impact. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, I and you know, I don't know. Those are just the kind of you know rumors that that I heard there uh, when I was in when when I was in Finland. But um, yeah, it would be you know assuming that. 
you know, it's it's really about the model and not around superstars. And I, I believe that fundamentally that they, they should be able to continue to deliver hits and that, you know, being patient and, and letting their model work over time is probably the right approach. But if the superstar, you know, model, if, if, if that's the reality, then yeah, certainly they're, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. I, there, I don't think there's a, there's that kind of a, a superstar model. Like, I mean, you can open up LinkedIn and look at people who work at Supercell, just open up their <laughs> their resumes. You will see that everybody has about 20 years of experience. Uh, they hire CEOs to be producers of a, of a single you know unit. They hire, um, they could hire chief creative officer from anywhere and he would be just a designer at Supercell. So, so it's, it's not, it's not that sense. So, um, but what I would urge, not urge, but I, what I would remind people that when you read things like this, Please do understand that that this is PR, just like everything else. Things are not black and white. Supercell is an amazing company. They have, you know, they 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 should be touted as the best in in the business. But even so, there are the numbers, and they have been in decline for two years in a row, and there are things happening. So, of course, the 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 message that they, that this was the way this was created, the way they was written is is perfect PR. You talk about the great things, you talk about your core values, you talk about the uh, the schools, you talk about the carbon emission. Those are all great things. It's not just a PR stunt. Those are all great things. But then there are things that are facts and those are the financials. And, and those are the facts that you are reacting to those because you can't just sit on your existing model and say, well, this worked six years ago and this worked five years ago. It worked pretty well four years ago. Three years ago, we kind of saw something. Two years ago, it wasn't really working that well. A year ago, we were in trouble. This year, you know, they are doing the smart things. They are changing, and I'm, 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 I'm eager and and very, very, very much, you know, looking from the side and seeing how the how the company transforms to answer to the current challenges of the market. And I think they'll do it. I think they they can do it, but it's tough. It's tough to walk away from the core competences, even the, I mean, your name to, to, uh, to move forward to this current market. Right. Well, I mean, I, I will say, you know, e- even, even if just a PR piece, extremely well executed. And, um, certainly as I mentioned, I'm, 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 I'm definitely a big, bigger fan of the company as well. One, one of the best posts, if not the best post by a CEO, and I'm sure it puts, all the gaming CEOs on spot <laughs> that there, I mean, everybody probably met with their PR team and discussed, should I write a blog post? <laughs> and, and our answer is yes, you should. Definitely. You should please do. Right. We want to hear. Yeah. Write a blog post and start a YouTube channel. <laughs> okay. So don't do a YouTube channel. That's a little bit of a 15 year old thing, but, but, uh, but we're looking forward to reading blog posts from the CEOs of, of King, of Zynga, of, of, you know, let's not, I mean, I'm not looking that forward for Activision. I'm not, not sure that's going to happen, but, but uh, for, for, for other CEOs, please do, please do write, please do explain what the hell you're doing. What are your values? Those are really important for us to understand. It can't be just, you know, quarter over quarter revenue. That is the saddest value to have. And, you know. Great. Should we, uh, Mishka? Do you want to end with a question? I want to. I want to end up with a question of you know we got a lot of replies. We got a lot of good feedback from the last one as well, and I already forgot what we asked last time because <laughs> I was. A, I was. A, I'll be honest. It was a fucking train wreck of a recording last time. I think I did better. I heard. I heard Eric say twice that good job or something, a positive comment. And those are very valuable because Eric is the, is the voice of reason over here. So, um, so I think, I think we did better and I personally did better, but um, I want to end up in a question of, of now that, that we've analyzed this, this blog post, what do you think? Do you think that we're right? Do you think that Supercell is, is going to evolve or do you think they're going to cling on a cling, cling might be the word, wrong word because it's kind of negative or do you think they're gonna you know ride the wave and hold on to the the principle that they've they came up with seven years ago so that's that's kind of the key question and on that note i think it's fair to say good night guys and i'll continue my day (laughs) all right good night all right Bye. bye thank you Thank you folks for listening to this episode. 
as always, please do leave a comment. Please do send a note. Uh, we, I mean, I personally really enjoy getting getting all the uh, all the messages from you. Um, truly powerful stuff. And please do rate this podcast and subscribe to it, whatever platform you're using. And most importantly, please do keep in mind that all the opinions, literally all the opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not reflect those of our employers. So Joseph Kim works at NBC Universal and I work at the powerful Rovio Entertainment and whatever we say is definitely our own opinion. So that's it. Tune in next week. Hope you enjoyed the uh, this episode and, and the next next one will be always better. Thanks, guys.